You are listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now present the Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi. everybody and welcome to the Health Hub. My name is Kathy Biasse and I'm your host and along with our producer Alex, thank you for visiting us Tuesday. Good morning Alex. Good morning Kathy. How are you? I'm doing well. Happy to be here. I'm happy to be here too. Another rainy day in Toronto. Yes, it has been It's very uh, interesting in terms oh. of the transition from like yesterday. It's been very drastic for sure. Well, it was a it was amazing to have yesterday. Anyways, did you watch the eclipse at all? Um, Not watch it, I guess. Were you involved in well, the eclipse? For for a little bit, I stepped outside, but uh, I was mainly in in the studio. And unfortunately, in the studio, there's no windows, so it, I, I it didn't was get a really, chance to. It was fascinating. It was um, we did a little pinhole thing and saw very clearly the moon going over the sun, and it's it's uh, it was it was kind of awe inspiring. It really was, and the atmosphere. It it I felt it changed a bit, and the the it wasn't as bright, and we didn't get as as nice of an eclipse as they did more in the the southern or the central states. But right. still, something amazing to, it's to exciting. see. It is exciting, and it's amazing to see how many people partook in it. I guess the science center in Toronto here was just a buzz with people. It was it was something to uh, definitely. Appreciate it for what it is, right? Exactly. Nature's a wonderful thing. I'm uh, a little bit battling a cold here. I'm on the tail end of it, so my voice may sound a little funny. It's funny what you wish for. When I started getting this cold, all I could do was hope and pray that it didn't go into becoming a chest cold. So it didn't. It stayed directly in the center of my face. So I haven't been able to (laughs) taste anything for the last four days. And um, Yesterday, I actually felt like I had a root canal that needed to be done on me. So <laughs> we will power through with this. Yes. Um, but that's why my sexy voice is on right now. So what's oh. exciting, though, <laughs> our guest today, um, Catherine, yeah. Catherine, right. Maybe you can share with some of our listeners about exactly our guest what today. She does, yeah. A she's, bit. Yeah, she's a, a very interesting find for us. Um, Catherine is a pet psychologist and. We, we know that our animals, um, what would they do for us? They give us exercise, they give us love, even studies now that they improve our microbiome. But we often don't think of the reverse. Sometimes our pets, our pets need us for certain things. And uh, Catherine is a, a pet psychologist, and she is the founder and owner of the Animal Psychology Center in Phillips, South Dakota. Catherine Andrews is a pet psychologist and an animal behaviorist. Her passion is to train and rehabilitate dogs with behavioral issues. Through her early love for animals, she developed it into a lifetime career and commitment. And backed with 20 years of animal training experience, she takes pride in making life better for people and pets through her animal psychology services. Communication is the foundation of what she does. She communicates with animals, communicating with humans, and getting them to communicate with one another. So we will take a break here, and when we come back, we will be speaking with Catherine Andrews. Praise 
Listening to Radio Maria Canada. We now continue with the program, The Health Hub, hosted by Kathy Biasi. Welcome back, everybody. Our show is live today, so please do make contact with us if this is something that you'd like to learn more about, pet psychology. On Instagram, you can reach us at the Health Hub RMC, Twitter at Kathy underscore Biasi. You can even reach us on Facebook and you can find us at the Health Hub Radio Maria. So welcome to the show, Catherine. Thank you so much for joining us. I know you're in a different time zone, um, but welcome. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. Yeah, we are too, actually. You know, in the introduction, I said we often, we often look at with our dogs, our pets, I guess mainly, I guess the biggest pet is our dogs, but we often look at what they do for us. But sometimes, I guess most times, we don't even consider the fact that sometimes our dogs need us, and that's where you come into the picture. How long have you been involved with animal psychology? Well, I actually started doing this when I was about seven years old. I just sort of had a knack for knowing what animals were trying to communicate to humans, and so I started to train dogs in my neighborhood and help people with their, their pets, understanding them. Understanding them. And do you work with all different types of pets, or is your focus on dogs? My focus is on dogs because that's what most people have. That's that's a you know super common pet, probably the most common pet. But I have worked with just about every other type of animal, from horses to even a snake. One time, um, sometimes people call me in about their cats because their cat is misbehaving and showing some signs of stress, and so I'll come in and communicate with the cat and the, the people and the family and do an evaluation and try to m- make that connection so that they can understand each other. And what's the most interesting pet you've ever worked with? Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> Have you done snakes, I guess birds? The, the, one that, the, the one that came to mind was the snake. There was a snake that um, lived with a girl that was in college and um, so she uh, wanted me to talk to the snake just kind of for fun, just to see if he had a happy life, if he was doing well. And um, the most surprising thing was when I spoke to him, he didn't know he was a snake because he'd never seen another snake, and he'd always been around his human and her friends and her family. So he uh, was really shocked. And um, he recounted one time where he got loose and, everybody was freaked out and he didn't understand why, you know, because he felt like he was just one of the kids at the dorm. 
and uh, they were screaming and running away from him because he got a, he got a wave. He was going down the hall. Mm-hmm. I so, would probably be screaming myself. It's a bit, <laughs> it's a bit bizarre, I think. <laughs> a little bit, a little bit. Most of us wouldn't uh, have pets or snakes as pets, but uh, how do you how do you communicate with them? Like, what do you have, or is that something teachable um, to communicate with our pets? I think that everybody has a sixth sense and has the ability to communicate at a higher level. It's just like anything practice, you know, just like when you start doing yoga. Um, I kind of teach yoga as a sideline. And I always tell my students, you're going to suck when you start teaching, when you start taking yoga. Um, But if it's something you really want to do, you know, I think that you can sharpen that sixth sense. I've always had it. It's always been very strong in me. And I describe it as a radio station that I'm turned into. And most people are not, or it's very faint for them. But for me, it's very strong. And so I've always been able to have that clear channel and be in the presence of an animal and understand what they're saying. Do each, does each animal have its own frequency? No, they're all pretty much on the same frequency. And what's kind of funny about that is um, people that have passed on to the other side are on that frequency, and babies are on that frequency, too. So Hmm, they're all on that radio station, (laughs) for me, anyway. Now, you are a psychologist of animals, and does that make you a behaviorist or a trainer, or where, where is the difference? Like, why would somebody come to you? Do you actually train animals? That's a really good question because there is a difference. Um, trainers tend to do the boundaries and they, they do the sit and the stay and they teach the, the logical left brain stuff. Um, I do some of that because I train service dogs, so that is incorporated in the service dogs curriculum. But um, what I primarily do is communicate with the animal and get on their wavelength, see where they're coming from, what their needs are, what their particular uh, life would like, what they would like it to look like. And then I plug that into the human and make the two of them work together as a team, whether it be I'm training that dog to be a service dog for that person or it's a family pet. Um, That's primarily what I do. That's a little bit different. And that's why I deal with animals and dogs in particular that have high-level aggression or maybe they have extreme shyness um, or they have some bad habits that they've gotten into and the owner doesn't seem to be able to deter them from it, like chasing chickens or chasing cars. So a trainer wouldn't necessarily deal with that because that's not making a dog or... Uh, getting a dog to sit and stay and, and do obedience is not going to address those problems. It's not going to address the aggression towards other dogs or the aggression towards humans or the extreme shyness. Um, all of those problems are under the heading of psychological and behavioral. So you're trying to break patterns. Is that yes, close to what because it is? many times the dog is acting in a way that's not natural for a dog. It's not natural for a dog to have that aggression or that shyness or to be that misbehaving. So uh, I go in and do an evaluation and figure out where did this come from and why does this dog have this idea? And then I rework the problem in their brain and then I imprint them with some positive things to replace it with. And then I... um, give the person some homework to do to reinforce the fix that I put in that particular day that I work with them. And how quickly can you change a negative pattern around? Well, um, some dogs you can turn them around that day because dogs are much more likely to, once you show them a happier way of being, to go with it. Um, Humans are more attached to the story and the drama, and so they'll kind of hang on to that story, but dogs don't care about that. So if you show them a better way of being, if you show them how to get along with this dog instead of be aggressive towards this dog, a lot of times they'll just take the ball and run with it. Now, sometimes dogs have that pattern really imprinted and they need more time. Uh, And sometimes the rehabilitation case, which is what those are, rehabilitation, I need to take that dog out of that environment and bring them to my center and have my pack of dogs 
work with them and kind of rework the brain that way. It takes more time for that particular dog. Well, I have two dogs, very, very different dogs. Um, one is like a human, and we've been told that she shouldn't be. And the other dog <laughs> is like a dog, and we've told that he shouldn't be. Uh, so it's like one sort of got, for lack of something better to say, the little guy has his animal instincts, and my older dog, Callie, has human instincts. And on both fronts, we've to- been told that we've done something that's not proper, whatever that may be. And we've been working more with the little dog because he does have aggression. And what I'm wondering, I mean, the breeder said to us, um, because we got the dog from both dogs from the same breeder, she said to us, the little dog is harder to train. And she said, just know that it won't be like the bigger dog. And uh, true to form, our dog has been harder to train. He's a lovely dog. And I'm, you know, I'm thinking that maybe me, especially me, my husband is much easier with the dogs. I expect too much. And where does that line between a domesticated dog and the dog, his natural instincts, are, are we able to, are domesticated dogs supposed to be bred out of those natural instincts or are we expecting too much from them? Well, that's a, that's a very broad question. And I'll try to kind of simplify and break it down a little bit. A lot of it depends on the dog because some dogs have more wild tendencies. Like, say, your hunting dogs, their genetics are bred for being outside and hunting. And take your little Yorkie. They don't have any of that genetics. Their genetics are to sit on your lap, to cuddle you, to be a companion. And then you have everything in between, right? You have huskies that have a little bit of wild in them, a little bit more than a normal dog usually. That's why they're hard to contain. So um depends on what the dog was bred for because they're going to have genetics for that. And then a huge factor is what are the parents like? because they're going to carry those traits in the genetics. If if the dad is a yellow lab and he's super easygoing and mom is just a really kind dog and communicates well, those puppies are going to be the same way. You have a, uh, maybe another yellow lab that's bred for hunting and he's super high energy and he's very impatient and he doesn't connect with humans well because his genetics tell him hunt, hunt, hunt. So that's going to be a different dog, and the puppies are going to be different. Now, do you help people choose the right dogs in? Because I, I, it sounds like that's a huge factor in what you know a pet owner should know ahead of time. What is the right type of dog for your environment? Right, and I do. I do choose help them choose the right dog. And if any anybody on this program hears anything today, I'd like them to know that choosing your dog huge because you make this commitment you got 12 to 15 years that you're going to have this dog you want to choose the dog that's compatible with you just like when you go on match.com or something you know you're just not going to grab the first person that's cute you know you want to look into that person and see how we match up on all these different levels and you want to do that with a dog too and the way to do that is to a find out about the breed and b check into the mom and dad if you can't do that because you're going to a shelter the best thing to do is to spend some time with that dog and to bring your family maybe bring your other dog if you have one and just um chill out with that dog and see how that dog reacts you know is he is he more interested in toys is he more interested in you is uh, is he making a connection to you? Because dogs and people have chemistry just like people have chemistry. So you really want to have chemistry with that puppy or that dog that you're picking out. And people say, what's chemistry? Chemistry is, is basically instantaneous. You just feel a drawn to that puppy or that dog. And that puppy or dog feels drawn to you. They like your smell. They want to be around you. They don't take off and run away to play with the other puppies they're more interested in you so look for that chemistry and look for your genetics should the pet owners be taught ahead of getting dogs it's it just it seems like there are so many avenues to go the wrong way i think when we had our first pet for instance i don't think we knew enough 
about um, about raising the puppy. And we had a bit of issue with, he, he liked to be, he was just a little wee dog, but he barked incessantly when anybody came by the house. He wasn't friendly when people came in the house. And he was a lovely dog. And his temperament, I think, should have been towards more of a, a gentle dog. And I think that we must have done something wrong uh, somewhere along the lines. Um, what, what is your opinion on that? Well, A, it might have not been the right dog for you exactly. B, when a dog does something, like when he started doing that incessant barking, when a dog does something, just like a child, when they do something that you don't, you don't want that behavior, you have to disagree with it right away. You can't let it go on for a long time and then go, oh, my gosh, I hate this, and, you know, then try to turn it around because it can be, but it's more difficult. So you, you want to, as soon as that dog does something, as soon as that puppy does something, you have to give them that correction, and there's levels of correction that you can give dogs. Um, if they don't get the first correction, you know, you do a second or a third one, but you have to let them know, and the corrections that I give are, in their language so they understand it, you have to let them know that that's not okay. So if you corrected that behavior from the get-go when he was little or when he really started it and then redirected it, you wouldn't have had that problem because barking is not a normal happy dog. Barking is, uh, you know, I'm bored, I'm I'm out of my boundaries, I think that I have more power here than I do. So barking is an unhealthy, excessive barking mm-hmm. is an unhealthy habit. It's it's funny, and I, I can only revert to to my my own experiences with dogs. But the difference between should we be trying to communicate to dogs on a dog level, or are we supposed to have the dogs understand what a human wants from them? Like, are they supposed to be treated more like a human and understand what behavior is correct? Or are we supposed to have be into their psyche and know what? dog languages and know what, you know, packs are and, and all of that stuff. Yeah, you have to understand that they're a different being than you and they're structured differently genetically and their brain is structured differently. So it's just like having someone, say you have an exchange student from Germany coming and they don't know the English language and they don't know your culture. You're going to need to kind of study a little bit and see, oh, what are they used to and What's their day structured like? And then also learn a bit of their language so you can communicate. So it's the same thing with a dog, inviting a dog into your home. You know, they're not a human. And you need to be prepared to communicate in their language and to um, structure their day not like a human but like a dog would like their dog to be. When we get when we get puppies, uh, I don't know what, what it's like in the States, but generally around, they're around six to eight weeks. What's your feeling on that? Is that too soon to have a puppy? Well, I have a small breeding program, and my puppies don't leave until they're eight, nine weeks old. And the reason is that psychologically they're not ready to leave mom. There's a lot that they get between four weeks to eight, nine weeks old that you cannot give them as a human. Um, Mom gives them boundaries and parameters, and their siblings show them how to play and how to be in the world, and mom does that too. So you really need that time with mom, and I see a lot of dogs who are taken when they're four weeks old, especially at pet shops. You know, they'll take Mm -hmm. them at four weeks because they want to sell them when they're young and cute, and they have a lot of problems. I mean, they'll they'll, they'll be excessively fearful. They'll be barky. They'll be um, aggressive, you know, they just didn't have that time with mom, so they don't know who they are in the world. It's like taking a baby away from a mom and giving it to, you know, I don't know, a gorilla. Mm-hmm. And that baby is going to be very confused. So same thing with a, a puppy that's that young. When you get a puppy at eight, nine weeks, they're ready to bond with a human. They already have their dog stuff down from mom and their siblings, and they're ready to come and live with you and psychologically are in a good place to bond with a human. It's very, so that's super important. It's very important to to really research and find out who your breeder is. I, you know, the more I the more I look at this stuff and the more breeders I see, it is becoming apparent to me that you really need to have a well respected breeder because you know it's 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 almost cruel to remove a puppy too early from its mom. 
And I think we're going to have to end. It's very cruel. And we're going to go to break here now. And when we come back, we're going to get into the interesting aspects of your behavioral training and maybe some service dog work and how you work um, with dogs understanding their owners and, and how that psychology works between owner and pet. So we will be back after this break with Catherine. Let me hear you say You had enough uh-huh. But it's been hard for everyone You're not alone uh-huh. You've been hurting way too long Let it go and just move on Make your way down to the altar Hand it over and leave it there It's gonna be alright It's gonna be alright It's gonna be alright It's gonna be alright Put it on the altar. You need him to work it out. He'll work it out. Yeah. All of your burdens, just bring them all down. You're gonna get an answer to your prayer if you. I know you need healing. Yeah. You're sick of being sick. You need relief. You're tired of the pressure. Yeah. You got all the stress and you need some peace Come on and get your breakthrough right. Haven't you been suffering long enough? Make your way down to the altar Hand it over, leave it there It's gonna be alright It's gonna be alright It's gonna be alright It's gonna be alright So everything that you've been worried about Take it to the Lord Maria Canada, a Catholic voice wherever you are. To contact us and be a part of the show, please call 416-245-1534. We now continue with the program. Here once again is your host, Kathy Biasi. Welcome back, everybody. We're talking with Catherine Andrews, and she's our pet psychologist. Again, call in at 416-245-1534 if you have any questions to ask her. Uh, some of you have sent in some questions at Twitter, which is at Kathy underscore Biasse. You can also follow us at the Health Hub RMC on Instagram and Facebook, the Health Hub Radio Maria. We put up some interesting things on uh, both of those feeds, so do follow us for lots of health tidbits 
Um, Catherine, we have a few questions that have come in, if you don't mind answering them for us. Sure, absolutely. Someone asked, um, I'll give you the question as it is, how can you identify a good breeder? Good breeders don't have a lot of dogs. They don't have, you know, 25 dogs. They have a few, and uh, they're very selective about the dog that they breed. They breed for temperament, um, mostly. That's the most important quality. You want a dog that's kind, communicates well with humans, and is generally a happy disposition. You want uh, genetic health. So you want good hips, good shoulders, eyes, that kind of thing. So these are all questions to, you know, to ask your breeder, um, what kind of temperament do your dogs have? Can I meet your dogs? How many dogs do you have? Um, you know, what are the conditions that they are kept in? Are they kept in, you know, I have nine dogs and I have a small breeding program. My dogs all live in the house and huge backyard and, you know, people who get a puppy from me come here and they see how my dogs live and then um, they're happy, they're socialized. Um, they actually, I call it doggy Disneyland mm-hmm. here. So those are the things you want to investigate. The big red flag if you're not invited up to see the facility. Absolutely, that's the biggest red flag there is because if someone doesn't want to you to see their property or where their dogs live, huge red flag, something wrong with that, yeah. Okay, what type of dogs do you breed? I have miniature English Bulldog. Um, I have a male and two females. I have a miniature Golden. Uh, I, I breed miniature Golden Doodles. I have a miniature Golden Retriever. Uh, she's 32 pounds, beautiful. And I breed her to a small poodle. So we got Golden Doodles. And then I have a pug, and she has pug puppies. All of my dogs are therapy dogs, and so m- many times in their litters, say two out of five puppies will go on to be service dogs or therapy dogs because they have the genetics for it. Just like a hunting dog has the genetics to hunt, my dogs have the genetics to uh, make connection with humans and to be interested in helping that human with their life. I want to get back to the service dogs because I find that fascinating. I have a golden doodle and one of my favorite dogs are are bulldogs. So um, that's very interesting. Another question that came Uh up is, your opinion, basically, should I take on a service, or a, uh, not a service dog, a rescue dog? That's a tough one. That's a tough one because, you know, a lot of times you're inheriting someone else's problems. That's really true. But um, some of the best dogs that I have ever trained have been rescue dogs. I have one right now who um, I rescued in the town that I live in. He was tied to a tree. He'd been there for almost a week. He was almost dead when we found him. And um, I have nursed him back to health, matched him up with a Vietnam vet, and he's going to go on to be a service dog. So it just depends on the particular temperament of that dog. Just like you would go to a shelter and you would take that dog into a room and um, get to know that dog. You know, do that with a rescue too and see what that dog's reaction is to you. Are they interested in you? Um, Do they have chemistry with you? Are, do they seem gentle and kind when they interact with you? Are they interested in playing with a toy with you? Um, you can, just like taking someone to lunch, you know, you can get a feel for who they are. You want to get a feel for who this dog is. And then, you know, energy level is important too. Is this dog really got a lot of energy? Do I want that? You know, if you're someone who likes to get out and jog and hike and be all gung-ho physically, you want a more physical dog. But if you're someone who likes to sit and read and is a homebody, then you're going to want a whole, totally different dog. You're going to want to want one of my bulldogs because they're couch potatoes and they don't care about running two miles a day. So just take all that into consideration and basically get to know that dog and get a feel for him and trust your gut because it's not a left brain decision. It's more of a heart gut decision. So it's a connection basically is what you're saying. Absolutely. And you know, sometimes I have, I used to be director of Humane Society years ago, and I would have people that would, you know, a family say, hey, we want we want to get that little dog that you advertised in the paper, the little she-suit that's up for adoption. And they would come. I'd spend some time with them. And I'd say, I don't think he's a dog for you. Let me introduce you to, you know, this dog. And, and this actually, this was a true story. This family ended up getting this 90-pound Doberman Pinscher, who was a huge couch potato. He was a love bug. And they fell in love with him. And um, 
I saw them nine years later. That dog recognized me walking down the street, and they ran up to me, and he was ecstatic to see me, you know, because um, I had rescued. He was a rescue situation. But so it can surprise you, and you should go with an open mind because sometimes the dog you think that you want maybe isn't exactly what you need. Mm-hmm. I mean, oftentimes you see a cute little puppy, and you think that's what I want. And that's obviously yeah, not the right maybe, way to go maybe with it. You, you do a little research and you find out that the parents are super hyper and barky and you don't want that. For sure. Now, as as a psychologist of animals, what is what are the common things that people come to you for help with? Oh, probably the most common is, is aggression. Mm-hmm. They have a dog that's acting aggressively, maybe towards their other dogs, towards strange dogs, towards humans. And they're over the top with it. You know, it's uh, they're wanting to go after a friendly stranger that comes on the property. And that's not normal dog behavior. Dogs understand a friendly stranger. They shouldn't attack the mailman or somebody who's, you know, just coming to visit. So that's probably the number one issue. Mm -hmm. And, you know... It's well, again going back to my little guy. He's fine when he goes to his. He goes to um, a, a daycare. We we give him a little daycare. Mm-hmm. We take our other dog too, and we've worked with the trainer there. He is absolutely fine. He can be in a room with you know twenty dogs playing fine. We take him out for a walk, and that's when the aggression happens, and that's that's our our issue with our dog. And so I can see why aggression would be because you know it's 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 not a nice walk. And it can be a little bit um, unnerving for me anyways. I, you know, when people approach uh, with both dogs, when people approach the older dog, the bigger dog, they're allowed to pet. We won't let, uh, we won't let people pet our little dog. And uh, yeah. it, it's, it is unnerving as an owner to, to have this aggression and to not know when it's going to manifest. So I can understand. Now, someone comes to you with an aggressive dog. Are you taking that dog on its own and working with it? Or do you work with the dog? Is it necessary to work with the owner as well? Well, yeah, you need to work with the dog and the owner. Where I start is I do my evaluation in the dog's home turf at their home. Because usually at their home, they're the most relaxed. They're going to give me their behavior. They're going to show me who they are. Um, And then it depends on the aggression. You know, it depends on how uh, when I do put the fix in that day, how amenable that dog is to the fix. And if they're not, a lot of times they need more rehabilitation. They need to get out of that situation and go to a completely different situation and learn how to be a dog again. And that's a deeper level of and you know having a deeper issue. So they need to go to rehab, basically, and um, that's when I take the dog. But sometimes the dog, you know, it's just a, it's a small issue, and you can turn it around more easily, and I can put the fix in, and then I can give the people homework to do so that they can maintain that fix, and they can um, keep that dog in that state of mind that we got them into, after we put the fix in. But, you know, I wanted to say something about the leash aggression thing that you were talking about. A lot of times that dogs will be fine in their yard. They're fine when they're out playing with other dogs and they're aggressive as heck on a leash. Mm -hmm. And that's just a, they call it leash aggression. Um, It's a misunderstanding that that dog has and they're not getting the proper information or the proper corrections when they're on the leash. So if I were working with you, what I would do is come to your house. I would put that dog on a leash and I would show you exactly how to walk the dog and exactly how to be the leader and bring probably one one or two of my dogs and let them do the aggression thing so I can correct the behavior. And then we would spend a few hours walking with my dogs and reprogramming the brain and then giving you some homework to do so that you can stay in that state of mind with your dog. So how are you getting into the mind of the dog as a psychologist would be? Are you touching the dog? Are you looking at the dog? Do you have to find out the root cause of a bad behavior? How, how does it work? Dogs follow calm, assertive behavior. So if you're standing in your, I call it standing in your power, and you're standing in your power and you're calm, that dog is going to be much more likely to follow you because dogs follow that kind of behavior. I have a little token thing that I always say to my clients. 
dogs would have never followed Hitler because mm-hmm. he's an angry, shouting, um, unstable energy. And dogs follow stable energy. And so if you are walking that dog and you're apprehensive or you're nervous, and you probably are because you think, oh, no, mm-hmm. is there a dog around the corner? Is he going to start Absolutely. going? So that's unstable energy. So your dog is not listening to you. Your dog's not following you. Your dog is being the leader. And because he has a misunderstanding about being on that leash, he's going to be aggressive. So one of the things I would teach you is how to relax and how to give that correction so you have some confidence in correcting him and you have some confidence as the leader so that he in turn follows you and he follows your lead. He's not out there calling the shots. Most of, when a dog is a leash aggressive, they're calling the shots. Mm-hmm. And right. you don't want that. I need some, your I guess I'm, I need the one, the, the training, not the dog. The psychology is all on my end here. But uh, yeah, I know. Well, my, my you husband... need to learn that, but your dog also needs to learn what are the boundaries and parameters of mm-hmm. walking on the leash. What's my job? So he, and also, you know, why do I have this impression of being aggressive? That needs to be corrected. So it's a twofold thing. It's you and the dog. Yeah, interesting. Definitely. Now you do uh, work with service dogs, and I found this. You know, we talked earlier I, um, before the show. Actually, I found it very interesting how you train the service dogs and what these dogs are actually capable of doing. And I I would be remiss if we didn't include this into the show because it's absolutely fascinating. And it just goes to show you the level of communication that we can have with our pets, in this case, dogs. Can you tell us about the training that you do with these dogs and what type of service work they they do? Sure. Um, You can get a dog trained for just about any disability that you have. And um, the key is in selecting that dog that you have chemistry with, getting a dog that is the right dog for you because some people need a dog, say, for stability. You know, they have balance issues, so they need a bigger dog. Some people maybe are in a wheelchair. They need a smaller dog. They want a dog that's going to be close and can sit in their lap. Um, <clears throat> but what I the, probably the most important thing is making sure that that person and that dog have chemistry. They have that connection. And then the training that I do is supportive of that connection. So we nurture that connection. Um, The dog goes through a curriculum just like you have when you go to college. They give you a curriculum that you need to fulfill before you get your degree. So we go through basic obedience, advanced obedience, basic social skills, advanced social skills. Uh, There's a group class that you take. And um, then we do task-specific training if your dog needs to alert you to take your medicine or um, alert you if your your blood pressure or body chemistry changes, or say that dog needs to help you walk with your walker, and you have to teach that dog tasks specifically to be patient and to walk slowly with you and to um, lean into you if you need that stability. And then the last thing that we do is public access training. So I take the dog in person as a team into all kinds of different public places so they're completely comfortable navigating any public place. How can a dog be alerted to um, a rise in your blood pressure? Dogs are very sensitive to your blood chemistry, your blood pressure, your heart rate. And so if you nurture that relationship and you do some little task-specific things like with a person when they are having an issue and you alert that dog and let that dog know that that's what we're looking for and then you reward that behavior, then that dog knows when that person starts to uh, go into that body chemistry change or heart rate change and the dog will know maybe even a half a day before you're going to have a seizure or a diabetic episode and that dog will start to prepare you and to alert you so you have a heads up and you know, oh, you know, I might need to do something different here so that I don't go into a full-blown seizure or a full-blown nightmare. Wow, that's amazing. No, do they... Do it is amazing. It's, it's actually, it's magical. And... Is the kid, what if you have a dog already? You know, what if you're, you, you, you have a dog and then you get an illness? 
do you need to get um, a new dog to help you as a service dog? Or is it possible to take your own pet and train them to be a service dog for you? In my in my book, because a lot of trainers will say, no, you need to get a dog that is specifically chosen by me. And I, I'm on a different page. If that, if you and that dog already have a connection, why not train that dog? Makes sense, right? It makes a lot of sense. Are they, will they be as intuitive towards body changes as a dog that has been trained specifically for that? Or is that something that you have to take the dog and train them to do? Well, what I do with my people is, is yeah, the, the, the dog that you, already have will be absolutely as good as any dog that I would chose for you just because you have that chemistry with that dog already. Now, if that dog is a family dog and he's not particularly attached to anyone in the family, then you don't want to train that dog for service work for you. You want a dog that's very attached to you, very attentive to you. So if you already have a dog like that, then we go ahead and train that dog and we nurture that relationship and bring it to new levels and that dog will be able to do way more for you because of the training. But if he's already got that relationship and that bond with you, yeah, why disrupt that and bring another dog in? Let's just work with that dog. Now, is training and service work unique to dogs only? Is training and service work? It, can you only train dogs to do service work? Or, you know, a lot of people have cats. Are cats intuitive towards body changes and things like that? Oh, yeah. I mean, a lot of people have dogs that are kind of quasi-service dogs, even though they've never been trained and certified. They'll alert them when their body chemistry changes. Or I have people that call me all the time and say, I have this little dog we have this great bond and she, um, if I forget to take my medicine, she'll bark at me and, you know, can we train her to be a service dog? And I'll say, yeah, she's already Halfway partially there. there no, is it, is it, but is so, it, a, can you do it the same thing with a cat or is it just not in their nature? It's really not in their nature okay. to be that connected. They're more independent minded. I mean, I have seen cats who have been a bit of a service animal for a, a person. They're more of an emotional support animal mm-hmm. than they are actually going to alert you or to plug into your body chemistry kind of thing. Okay. Now, when you train dogs, service dogs uh, from the get-go as a, as a pup, are there particular dogs that you favor more, particular breeds that you favor more for this? Or do you just take a good-natured dog? Yeah, you want a dog that is going, you're going to, I call them bomb-proof. No matter what happens, if somebody steps on their tail or a little kid accidentally falls on them, they're not going to react and and be aggressive. So you want a dog that has a super good temperament. And again, that goes back to your breeders. You know, um, I have dogs that are great candidates and I work with breeders. Like say somebody comes to me and they want a Weimaraner. I have a breeder that produces amazing Weimaraners. And what's, what's so that? I Is that a type of dog? Them. Weimaraner. Is that a type of dog? Yeah, it's oh, okay. actually a hunting dog. They're the big kind of blue-gray okay. dogs with floppy ears, droopy ears. I just find the whole um, the whole notion of service work uh, amazing. We we tr- we're, we were thinking of getting our bigger dog to do that, but she's a little bit uh, jumpy, so um, we we didn't follow through with it. But I just the connection between owner and dog. I mean, you look into a dog's eyes. And, you know, your heart, your heart just melts when you look into their eyes. I mean, they're just nothing but love. And it's, it's in, it's, you know, we need to understand that they too have, have needs that we need to supply. And I think what you're doing is important. And it's important to let people know that this relationship needs to be reciprocated. And I don't think there are many people like you around, um, and that's why it was great. It was great to find you. You can't do this over the phone, I'm assuming. So if people need your services, they need to see you. Is that correct? You know, I do some work over Skype. I work with people that are all over the country. Sometimes I do a one-time thing where I fly in and see them or they come in and see me. So every case is kind of different. We try to work something out 
so that it's convenient for them and for me. And, you know, there are ways to work with people long distance. Um, you know, I wanted to say one thing about what you were talking about, about dogs and humans and the bond, is that dogs have a wisdom that's different than ours. And um, so in some ways, it's a higher wisdom, like how dogs would not follow Hitler. You know, that's a higher wisdom. But they also are experts at unconditional love. I think humans write about it a lot and talk about it a lot. We're not as good at it. Dogs are excellent mm-hmm. at it. Yeah, they are truly man's best friend and women's best friend. And we're coming to the end of the show, unfortunately, Catherine. But if you could give our, our listeners a tip of the day, something around what we've talked about, I'd appreciate that. Sure, absolutely. Um, one thing that I teach my clients about dog behavior is that in our society, we kind of meet dogs, what I call ass backwards. We, um, we run up to them, we're excited, energy, and we want to pet them. And, you know, we many times rush up to them without even getting permission. And in dog language, you're basically announcing yourself to be crazy because that's what you're saying to that dog. So the best thing to do is walk up really calm, engage with the owner, say, hi, you really have a cute dog. Is it okay to pet your dog? And then when you do approach that dog, come in with calm energy and scratch them under the chin. Don't put your hand over them like we normally do because that's a kind of a bit of an aggressive move. Like if someone were to come and put their hand on your head, you know, it doesn't feel as good as someone reaching underneath your chin and kind of tickling your chin. Thank you very much for that. That is an important thing to know. Uh, Catherine Andrews' website is www.animalpsychologycenter.com, and center is C-E-N-T-E-R. Again, if you need that information, you can just give us a shout at the Health Hub, and we will get that to you. I'd like to thank you, Catherine, for coming on to the show. It was really great having you, and thank you for listening to the Health Hub. We will talk to you next week. Hosted by Kathy Biasi, here on Radio Maria Canada.